This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to the podcast Working Drummer. Today, my guest is drummer, educator, and author Blake Fleming. Blake is a percussionist known for his involvement in several influential experimental bands and has recently written his first book, The Book of Rhythm, an unprecedented collection of 5,096 meticulously organized rhythms for all instruments. His drumming has been written in such major publications as The New York Times, NPR, Spin, Rolling Stone, Mojo, Modern Drummer, Drum, Dangerous Minds, and Pitchfork. He was included in Spin's 100 Greatest Drummers of Alternative Music and has recorded and toured extensively, working with luminaries in the jazz, rock, and avant-garde worlds. So we're trying something new for our Patreon members. If you are a Patreon of this podcast, you will have access to some bonus content that we are creating. As you probably know, we have interstitial music by the guests that we are interviewing uh, to break up the segments of our interviews. So in a nutshell, what this bonus content is, is a time that we take with the guest to deconstruct one of the recordings that they've done. It covers a wide range of topics that include what drums were used, how did they react to the songwriter or the producer, or was there something unique to the recording situation that would be super helpful for the working drummer. I'll make an announcement during the interview to say, hey, this is the song that we are deconstructing for our Patreon members. So for as little as a dollar, you can become a part of this community and help support the podcast here. So last week on the radio, I heard a quote from a 16th century writer named Thomas Fuller. He says, craft must have clothes, but truth loves to go naked. I think what you're going to hear today is some truth. I think as the kids say, some truth bombs. Um, Blake is not shy about his feelings in the current state of affairs of music and how it relates to commerce and art. And I love it. I think it's great. I think if you take anything away from this conversation is how to stay connected with your music, how to stay connected with your instrument, and stay connected to the spirit that motivated you to pick up the sticks in the first place. So uh, this was an amazing experience uh, chatting with Blake and uh, digging into the music that he's created over the many years, and of course his book, The Book of Rhythm, and there's links in the show notes to his website where you can find that book. You can also find it on Amazon as well, of course. But I hope you enjoy this conversation with Blake Fleming. Upstate New York, about three hours northwest of New York City. Um, moved out of New York City in 2008. 
Uh, I was there for 12 years. Yeah. Um, in and out, you know, I, w- I was touring a lot uh, during that period. And at one point I was doing stuff uh, out in Los Angeles and going back and forth a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, New York City was basically my, my home base for 12 years. And then um, my, uh, <clears throat> my wife and I, um, we got booted out of our apartment because they were going to renovate the building. And which basically meant, you know, they like threw some spackle up and repainted or something. And all of a sudden the rent had like ba- had doubled. Yeah, and geez. it became very clear to us that we didn't want to move back into that situation with that kind of money. And in the interim, while, while they were working on our building in Brooklyn, um, we had the opportunity to stay in a farmhouse uh, up in the Catskill Mountains that a friend of ours had purchased, mm. but was still living in the city. So this farmhouse was basically sitting empty. So my wife and I went over, uh, went up and took it over and um, we got used to not having roommates. We got used to not having shared walls. We got used to the simplification of uh, – when we first moved up, we didn't have any cell phone or internet access. How None glorious. of that was at the house and we had no cell signal there and we neither one of us had smartphones. It was in 2008. And I still don't have a smartphone, by the way, by choice. But that, that's that's a whole other thing. That's just my own. That's another thing. podcast, I think. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, but um, you know, we pretty quickly got used to the idea of like, well, we didn't have any any plan, but maybe let's try to make this work now. Um, yeah. And I was still going back and forth to New York City a lot for work at that point. I was going down and doing gigs and session work, uh, recording and that kind of thing, and I was doing it, you know. Um, anywhere from, you know, once, once a week to a few times a month, um, depending. And sometimes I'd go down and stay for a few days at a time, or sometimes I would go down and I'd be in and out, you know, Yeah. but I was, I was commuting and after a couple few years of being more up in the country, um, I, I didn't feel the pull as much that New York city had for me, you know, my life was changing. New York city was changing. Um, it was, a, a, I was just going through a transition and I find my, I found myself wanting to be more and more upstate yeah. on a full-time basis. And so what I did is, you know, there's always the allure of coming upstate to record in a barn or just get away from the city. So I started bringing people that I worked with in the city, <laughs> bringing them up to, yeah to the cat skill. So, for me, that was that was great because I was getting to do the work that, that I love to do, but I was making the money as if I were still in the city, but I was just going down the street or over a mountain or something and bringing the, the work to me. And that was great, you know. Um, and and I, I continued to do some of that as well, along with just doing some remote work as well, especially, you know, during 2020, um, just doing some more things out of my little – humble home studio here, okay. you know? Okay. Um, but yeah, we, uh, like a lot of things that have, that have occurred in my life in a way, I didn't have a plan to move upstate. Um, I didn't have a plan to move out of New York city. Um, had we not been kicked out of our apartment and, and moved to our friend's house that we had all to ourselves, I might very well still be in New York city. And, and, living somewhat of a different life. I, I, I don't know. It's yeah. hard to say, but, um, I'm, I'm fairly spontaneous about some things and, um, sometimes just sort of dive into things head first. I, you know, 
it depends on in, in other ways I'm very pragmatic and I really plan things out and, I, and I'll you know like doing a book or something like that I, yeah. I left no, no stone unturned right but but then there's other aspects of my life that I'm definitely more freewheeling with you know and I guess it's just a, a, a natural state to be in for me I guess it sounds very like a very healthy approach because I mean life just throws stuff at you that you that's very unexpected and you have to be able to change and adapt and especially when you're raising a family kind of be a stable rock for those changes and, and, you know, be able to support those around you that need that support. If, if they're not able to adapt to those changes, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I love the idea that you've brought, you know, work to you because again, you know, to kind of circle all this back around to like the, the idea of how we make a living at this crazy thing, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's not always about being in a music town, especially with technology making itself available. But even that aside, you're finding creative ways to, um, you know, remain connected to your, your group, the people that, the, that you've established a relationship with, uh, obviously throughout the years and then bring them to you. Not, uh, it sounded like not always remotely, but, but oftentimes in person and stuff. Yeah. I mean, like I said, there, there was the allure of getting out of the city, you know, You're for right. a few days and, you know, yeah. come breathe some fresh air and have some space. And, you know, I've had to be a bit of a shapeshifter while keeping uh, a really strong sense of myself in my own core. Cause I'm also like, you know, as, as much as I can shape shift, I'm also very kind of stubborn and I, and I'm, I won't do things in, in some ways, you know, I, I'm, it's not that I'm uncompromising, but I, I think I have not always a clear vision of what I want, but I definitely have clear visions of what I don't want a lot of times, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like that in, in, in often, in many ways, as I, as I've, looked into a lot of the things that you've been doing uh, in your career, I, I feel like it's, in the long run, it may not have always been the easiest thing, but it has served you well as far as allowing that relationship between you and the music and you and the drums to remain strong. Yeah, thank you. No, I appreciate that. I think that relationship between myself and music and myself and the instrument is is very delicate, and, and it has to be it has to be nurtured. It has to be treated the way that, you know, like the way that I raised my son. It has to be treated with res- respect and love and and knowing when to engage and knowing when to leave it alone, you know. Right. Um, and I think that, you know, I started teaching at a really young age. And again, that allowed me to not have to take every single thing that came along and to really, because I, I really try to think of the things that I do, the output that I have as everything being its own little art project and an art project that I really want to put some real love and energy mm-hmm. into and not just another session or another gig, but actually like something that's going to go beyond that, you know? Um, and so being able to teach and, <clears throat> you know, having a book or selling records, having these other avenues of income, that come in through my my creative efforts has allowed me to be more picky and choosy. And I think that's allowed me to have more of an identity or more of a voice on the instrument. I, I look at it the way that I would look at like, you know, certain actors or something, you know, yeah, yeah. that only play like, you know, 
and cool movies or art house movies or, or movies that have some sort of impact or there's just something there artistically for them. I wanted to treat music in general that way. And it wasn't even so much that I wanted to treat it that way. It's just kind of how I've always treated it. I guess because of circumstantially how I grew up, that was always my approach. It wasn't, again, it was always more about quality over quantity, you know. Um, that was always in your DNA, you think? Well, I mean, again, when I was younger, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I just you just want to play and you want to get yourself out there as much as possible. Sure. But, you know, when I was 15 years old, which is now that I'm 48 and, I, and, and I've taught kids for a long time, 15 is like such a baby. When I was 15, my first real band, Dazzling Killmen, started. And uh, the bass player was five or six years older than me. And the singer was, I believe, eight or ten years older than I was, which yeah. is a huge, huge difference when you're 15, oh, right? Oh, my gosh, yeah. We, we made records. We toured. These guys knew so much more about the world in general than I did. They knew so much more about the underground and alternative culture and, and literature and, like, what, were, what are the great books? Who are the great artists? Not just the great musicians. And, like, you know, I had this whole education uh, from the time I was about 15 that was, like, got – was very real all of a sudden because we were, we were making records. We were touring. Um, and, you know, I was one of the younger ones – at that time, as far as like the, 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 the groups that we were hanging out with and what my peer group was, I was, you know, always a little bit younger. And, and so I, I think I, by the time I was 15, I had that approach. Yeah. yeah. Where, you know, Cause I played in any sort of school organization. I was 15 years old. So I did all the school bands. I was marching band, jazz band, orchestra, all that. I love that stuff. I love music. I love, I listen to all sort of things. I'm never genre specific. Right. So I did all that stuff. But I always had this focus of like, but my thing is, this is my band, right? This is my art project. This is my yeah. focus. And um, that satisfied so many other needs, mm. you know, like so many holes, uh, not to get, you know, not used to, to use a bad cliche, but so many, so many holes were filled. That, yeah. Sorry, I kind of walked into that bad pun there. So, <laughs> That's all right. Uh, time for someone to make some porn joke. I'm going to pitch this episode here. to a family guy uh, episode. Yeah. <laughs> So, so Matt, they're filling all my holes, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know, having having a real musical love, like mm-hmm. like a, a certain band, that allowed me to keep focused in sort of one area, and I didn't feel like I needed to start playing with a million other people. You know, I was satisfied sure. from that, and I've kind of always taken that approach. But you know, as I've gotten older, and I and I I don't have a band of my own per se. I mean, I have a trio that I play with sometimes, but you know, we haven't really gotten super serious yet. Um, I try to find other things like doing that book. I try to find other projects that I can kind of do more or less on my own because I, I, I love to collaborate, but I find that it's very difficult logistically to work sometimes, especially when you have a family. Um, yeah. yeah. When I don't, I don't live in the city anymore. It's not just like like we can pop down to the coffee shop and meet, you know. Um, I mean, we can always, I can do things online and stuff. But you know, I, I am I am remote to a certain degree, and and that can pose certain obstacles. Um, so I, I do my best to stay connected, and, and and you know, we talk to so many different musicians and drummers on this podcast, and being the working drummer podcast, we're oftentimes covering different ways that people are 
monetizing their experience or making a living as a musician. And, and that's been at kind of the core of this podcast. But it's been refreshing to come across so many wonderful creative individuals that are finding their own way and not kind of ad adapting to someone else's agenda to make, make a living. And I live in Nashville, and I don't call it Music Town. I call uh, uh, Music City. I call it Music Business City. Yeah, and it's very yeah. driven by the bottom line. And uh, I, from a very young age, I was taking gigs because it's what you do. You work, you play a lot. I was in a couple original bands, but I've always had kind of almost the opposite experience uh, and in philosophy of working and taking whatever gig and not always just for money, but, but being busy and being full time and, mm -hmm. um, and balancing other things that are important to me in life, like raising a family. And, and sometimes this way of living has its toll to pay. And, mm -hmm. um, so that's another reason I was, I was very excited to talk to you about how you've dealt with that. Because one of the things that people deal with is, well, if you're going to do your own thing, just be ready, be prepared, because it's not always, it's going to be difficult to make the rent. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have yeah. to make sacrifices. And there's, I know there's some amazing stories of you living in New York in the 90s, <laughs> oh, making yeah. sacrifices, but playing as <laughs> much drums as you want. <laughs> they, they were not all animal sacrifices, so no PETA people, you know, they were... <laughs> There were more personal sacrifices, but you know, every now and then Satan would come up and we'd sacrifice a goat or something. No, I'm just kidding. Well, and you know, man, listening to you playing, that explains a lot. <laughs> yes, come to the dark side, please. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. Um, I'm sorry. I, I, I derailed us there for a second. But yeah, you know, art and commerce, you know. Um, Again, you know, when, when I was younger and, and I was learning, I mean, I'm always learning. I'm, I'm a perpetual student. Yeah. But again, when it, when it was about getting my name out there, you know, I took all kinds of stuff. And I played, you know, in wedding bands and, and that kind of thing, you know. Um, but again, you know, I uh, – it was always very important for me to make sure that I had these positive experiences with music. Because I've, I've had some experiences with music, you know, um, that, you know, kind of – have that put one the, what am I trying to say have been difficult <laughs> yeah in yeah. some ways right yeah and you know that can taint you a little bit and and I I, I, I don't want to be bitter right I don't yeah. I don't want to be jaded and I want to stay open because again that's the only way that I learn and I don't have I'm wasting my own time if I approach it any other way so you know I've tried to be adaptable um, but always kind of staying true to myself too. And again, cause like, you know, I think I just, I think there's a lot of different ways to approach life and a lot of different ways to approach music. And, and I, I found that with the technology and with social media that we are losing something more and more at a rapid rate. The stuff that I see coming through my social media feed, music has become more like pornography in general mm -hmm. because there's very little substance that, that, that we're seeing in all of these snippets. It's like, wow, this, this person has amazing chops. Wow, this person has an amazing feel. There are all these little sound bites, but it's not a journey. It's not an album. It's not something that takes you somewhere. It's something that, that 
either makes you feel good or bad in that moment. It can go either way, right? Sometimes it makes you feel like shit, like, oh, I, I don't play that well. I can't do that. I don't sound like this way. Yeah. My studio doesn't look this way. I don't own that many snare drums. You know, I, I get inundated with this and I, and I have to start sort of clearing out my feed because that's the kind of stuff that messes with me. I feel like that there's a, a homogenization that is happening to our, not only our instrument, but to just the approach of music in general, because everybody is trying to play the game to some sort of degree. And, and everybody's a star now too. Everybody thinks that anybody with a cell phone and an internet connection needs to start giving advice to people every day mm-hmm. because the, the, I got five followers. It's like, I think that sometimes people need to have their ideas cook and, and develop more instead of just putting the first thing out there. Like we're inundated with so much stuff and then there's so much commercialism built into it. You know, like, can I just have a crappy drum set and write some ideas down in a notebook? Do I have to have the newest equipment? Do I have to have the newest 18-inch hi-hats? Do I have to keep up with the trends? Do I have to get rid of my rack tom now? Right? Do I have to follow – do I have to put little shaky shit all over my cymbals? Because you know, th- these are things that drummers have done forever, but I see them now in general like becoming a thing where everybody, yeah. everybody's drawing from the same pool. And that, that makes me crazy. I don't, I don't, because the, the world is so vast and the approach to the instrument is so vast. But I, it's, it's almost like singer songwriters that just draw from this, like the, the smallest of pools of inspiration. When, when the pools of inspiration for a singer songwriter could be huge if they were just either privy to it, aware of it, or open to it, right? Yeah. But I think the kids especially have been so marketed to so heavily that it is. And again, I try to make sure when I say things like this, like, are you just a bitter old man now, dude? No, no. Yeah, no, I just And I come up with like, I don't think so, man, because I'm thinking no. about this. I'm thinking and I'm really, I call myself on my own shit faster than anybody because <laughs> I, I have no tolerance for it. I can't go on with my life on any sort of false pretenses. It makes me feel physically ill. It literally does. So yeah. if, if, I, if I stumble upon something, I try to clear it up as fast as possible. So in saying things like this, it's because I've thought about them a lot. And I think that I'm not sure what the answer is. I'm not sure how it's supposed to change. But I think that we have become not quantity based on the sort of thing that you're talking about. Quantity of like, well, hell yeah, I'm going to take a bunch of gigs because that's how you learn and you learn on the job. That's yeah. You're a working musician, right? Yeah. That's where you're coming from. I get that. I come from that too. But now it's like quantity of like, how many videos can I make? How many likes can I get? You know, like what's the newest thing that I can buy? Like, how can I draw someone in? How can I get more followers without actually thinking, how can I make my music better? How yeah, can I, yeah. how can I dig deeper? It's more all the surface shit. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, that's not only a problem musically, that's a problem with our overall mental health that we're starting to see as well, but we're seeing it, you know, we're seeing it occur in, in places like music where like, I don't know about you, but I, I see a lot of stuff coming through the internet, right? And and I and I do YouTube and 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 you know I, I explore things and I look at things that people send me and you know all kinds. So there's all kinds of stuff coming through. It's not to say that it's all bad or, or make some generalized statement like that. No, it's that there is an overall there's some sort of lack of substance there. There's a lack of say like the, the like like real sex, real dirt, real violence, real sadness, like. Mm-hmm. We're, the, the grip that we hear in Howlin' Wolf's voice, mm-hmm. where is that equivalent now musically for us? Yeah. 
it, it, it can't occur in a computer. It can't occur with, with the more shit you buy. It can't occur with the technology. It's like there's something that we're losing. And are, are we getting closer to being these sort of more, you know, futuristic Mm-hmm. alien type like you know like like we'll become sexless you know and so then we become more of the same and like you know is that happening or am i just being old and freaking out because i you know have been holed well, up for i think uh, any listener needs to needs to ask themselves some honest questions uh, you know look at the science behind how people feel when they're surfing constantly on social media and at the end yeah. of the day a lot of us just feel shittier and yes. it doesn't it doesn't help and uh and uh, there's also like those neurons firing those things that make us that 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 little dopamine rush that yes. we get when you get a new like or something like that and how does that to me i've felt that and i you know it's like that's nice but when i play a good gig when i feel like i've made some inroads to my playing or had a good time recording or uh, a great practice session that can't ever be replaced with something on social media that I may receive. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I've almost been stingy sometimes with my relationship to the instrument because, you know, I've gone through various periods. Like if I want to get really, really busy, I can get really, really busy and play a bunch out there. I, it'd take a little time, but I've got, I know enough people I can do that. I haven't been doing that lately. Um, for a, a variety of reasons, but part of that is is just wanting to sit back and figure out where my place is in all of this, and and trying to decipher the onslaught of information, right? And and where do I belong in all of that? And I think that the thing that we're starting to hit upon a little bit with some of us, meaning just human beings in general, is that there's still something that we need that we're not getting from the technology. You know, it, it can only fulfill, it's, it's still very surface. It doesn't run very deep. And I think that that's the effect I'm seeing it have on the music. I think music is starting to be made that way more and more. Yeah. Like, like we've got like a neo funk thing going on, right? There are amazing people out there, people like Nate Smith, right? Nate Smith is an amazing drummer. Come on, the guy has got the sickest feel and he, he does all this, you know, modulation stuff. I love that guy, right? When I hear that stuff, though, when I hear like the Fearless Flyers, this is just an example. I'm yeah. like in awe because it's so pristine and kind of perfect and like, oh my God, wow, those guys are amazing. But I don't, and this is just one example. This is not, I love, like I said, that, that band is great. I'm not picking on anyone. Sure. I'm just saying, for example, of something that is popular right now amongst I teach a lot of college kids, right? Um, things that are popular amongst the kids, like there, there's something on a visceral level that is just not there. And mm-hmm. I can't, I, I don't have the answer to say I know what it is exactly because, you know, that groove is funky and that, that stuff can make me feel a little something in my butt sometimes, but it's still not, it ain't speaking to me the way like the James Brown would speak to me though. Yeah. Or that, you know, that Funkadelic would speak to me. I mean, that's the original stuff I know. And it, maybe that's not fair to compare, but there's something that is being lost because we have these amazing musicians. And I don't think it's just that I'm again, old and bitter and get off my lawn because I really, I'm aware of that mentality because it's easy to go there. Sometimes if you've, if you've lived life at all, especially as a musician, it's easy to go there sometimes. But I know 
I've known that since I've been a kid. Like, I don't want to be that dude, right? Yeah, I kind of I know how you're. I, I know I know what you're saying. I really do, and I I see that as well. And, and sometimes I I wonder if it, in in staying with Nate as the example, if how he feels, you know, like I'm wondering, like, well, these guys I'm working with, they're putting out this video, or we're going to do this and this, and. I guess this is what you do, and you know, there's probably a team around them, and it's like, and you know, it it looks like I see a lot of these players, and they're working with all different kinds of people, and I don't know, I'm working with different artists in Nashville. There's oftentimes a team around them, and and you know, sure. record labels are hiring social media, um, you know, experts, and and it's like they're a big part of the equation in getting things moving and so oftentimes i see some of this stuff and we've had drummers on the podcast as well that have been about a part of it but i i oftentimes that you see the in the studio thing and everybody's like grooving and shaking their head and uh, and it just seems like half the time the musicians are it's another gig for them it's not even a thing do you know what i'm saying you know what i'm saying i do and i think that's that's the part i guess the difference from my background i grew up going to shows yeah. Okay. Sure. You went to a show, and that usually meant, you know, at, at one point it was like, you know, a punk rock is such a can have such dumb connotations, but it was a DIY punk aesthetic. Right? Kids were going crazy on stage. They they could either play, or they didn't know how to play. It didn't matter because there was a certain energy. There right. was a visceralness there. You'd be like, oh shit, am I gonna get my ass kicked? You know? <laughs> I mean, you know, oh fuck. I mean, like, uh, uh, oh my god, like, oh shit, the skin the skinheads showed up. Oh my god, there's a fight. Like. You know, there could be like there was a danger to it. And not to say that we need, you know, Nazi assholes at gigs, of course. I don't mean that in any way at all. I just mean that there is something visceral there that I used to feel. And maybe it was just because I was a kid, but I don't think so either because I still when it's there and I feel it, I still get goosebumps and I'll still start to tear up when that energy hits me. Like it, it hits me in a very physical, visceral way when when there's something genuine coming at me and I find myself – I find my brain being more stimulated much more than my heart and my soul nowadays, I guess is a very simple way to put it. I'm like, oh, damn, that shit is tight or damn, that shit is flawless. you know. But maybe it's too perfect, some of the stuff that's happening. Maybe, maybe the technology and, and the idea that everybody wants some sort of uh, commercial viability nowadays because of social media and the internet. Everybody wants to be a commercial star to some degree that there's too much perfection and what we're doing that we're we're actually taking the the blood and the sweat and the 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 semen the the, the, the we're taking the sex out of the sex yeah, yeah and then all of a sudden you're left with porn you know what I mean it's kind of, and that's and I use this as an analogy but that's that's the kind of way it feels like that music is to some degree now listen there's still people freaking out in other in all parts of the world but. A lot of what we're seeing, a lot of this making it to the surface, I guess, is what it is, is – and I guess maybe that's just the way it's always been. Whatever makes it to the surface is not always like the, the deepest, heaviest stuff. But um, Could you almost equate this to like a young Little Richard, then turn it over to what we ended up with with Elvis Presley? Yes. Or, or, or like yes. early hard bop and, you know, in like being there and seeing that and then – what it turned into later and what people, their concept of jazz now is Yeah, like, no, this isn't like if we could go back in history and kind of see, because, you know, we're, 
we always repeat history, how art has changed in those ways from a very visceral human type thing to something that was very just, um, I don't know, they cleaned up and accessible to the masses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that, that's been that, that story, you know, that, that, that analogy of Little Richard to, to Elvis. Um, it's been that way for a long time then, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. obviously. And the Disney, are, Disney-ification, <laughs> like yeah. New York City, maybe New York is a good analogy of, of, of representation of, of how music is becoming, you know, compared to, I mean, yeah, we don't want the crime, we don't want the violence, you know, and stuff like that, we don't want those things, but you live there, and then you go back now, and you're like, man, this town, or this street, it doesn't have the same juju it had. Yeah. Again, it's it's porn. It's not love making. You know. Yeah, I, I yeah. keep on. I guess I got that on the brain. Sorry. That's <laughs> that, cool. That's, that's going to be part of the people. subtitle of this episode. That's awesome. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It'll get lots of uh, clicks. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a drummer. I've never heard a podcast before. But my God, uh, this came but, up on my feed when I typed in porn. <laughs> I, I, I think that I think the technology, the development of technology, the need for more and more products for consumers, you know, all that come, you know, like the need for like the 24 hour news cycle. It's like, we don't need news 24 hours a day, but that's where we're at. We don't need products being developed every few months. We don't need iPhones every six months. We don't need, you know, your apps to be outdated every few months. Like this is not healthy, right? It's, it's unsustainable. And it's, it's all we're trying to do is sort of keep up and to get some attention is what it feels like. I'm just trying to keep up and get some people to notice me, right? So people are starting to do all kinds of things to get that done. And I think musically and artistically, some things could excel under that light. And then other things are really starting to, to shrivel and, and we're losing something. So again, I, I don't want to be the person on here that says, hey, things are messed up and I don't offer any solution. Yeah. My solution is to to, to go for quality over quantity that's that's my i guess my own personal solution you know so think how much time you're losing though i mean trying to pick a picture and and edit it and blah 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 and do this it's gosh (laughs) this is ironic uh i was uh looking at my instagram feed and there was a picture of bach and it said stop scrolling and go practice (laughs) (laughs) yeah and yeah. I, I was like, I, I, I shut it down like it, he was looking at me. I was like, I'm done. Okay, I get it. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's it's the thing with, with musicians and artists nowadays, and this kind of goes back to the art and commerce thing that we started with, um, you know, using social media and your iPhone and all that as a tool that it can be, but not getting sucked into the, the yeah. vortex of all the other crap that can come along with that as yeah, well yeah, you know yeah. and you know it's trying to keep that balance like you know if if i don't like i i've been not very active the last two months on social media i needed to kind of take a break a little bit um and does that mean i don't exist for some people you know or mm. or does the idea of of me as a person as a musician it, you know, you know what I mean? It's like if, 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 uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's like the tree falling in the forest sort of thing or something, but you know, um, do we have to be always posting content in order to be valid 
artists nowadays. And I think that that is a bunch of bullshit. Now, that might be how it works commercially. And people will say, well, if you want people to blah, 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 then you need to play the game. And I've tried to do that to a certain degree because I understand that. Yeah. But I also understand the negative uh, aspects to always – like I see people that are posting – you know, multiple, multiple times every day. Yeah. And I'm just like, man, this is not good for you. I get, I get very judgmental when I go on there. I get, and that's one of the things that makes me uncomfortable. And how often do you follow these people? And, and, and how often you just, I'm, I'm done. Like, I love you. I think yeah. you're great. I know you as a person, but I'm sorry. I'm blocking you because it's just too much. Yeah. I think if, if, if someone is on there all the time and some of these people are musicians, like what are you actually bringing to your music? Yeah. You know, and I, I think that, that that's why we end up with all this just like clickbait of like, oh, wow, you know, mm-hmm. like a one minute s- segment or something, you know, mm-hmm. that, that goes, oh, wow, that was amazing. But it, it's not actually it's not really bringing you together w- with that person in a way or it's it's not making you feel better. It's not it's not touching the heart like it should, you know, and I, and I think that's we're, we're we're drifting away from that, you know, I. I, I saw a video this morning, and again, I'm, these are just examples, and I'm not – anybody that I bring up, if I happen to watch them, it's because I'm watching them because I'm keeping an eye on what people are doing, and I have a certain respect for them, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not here to diss people or anything, but I was watching – but I'm not going to bullshit and not name names, all right? I'm, we're going to be honest and talk about this shit because right, right. I see it all the time, right? Yeah. The, the drummer, Anika Niles, she's amazing. She's yeah. great. She's, yeah. you know, I, and, I, and I love that she's as, as, as a woman coming to the forefront of this super male-dominated yep. Uh, yep. You know, scene that we're in here, right? That is amazing. I love that. There was some video of her, I think, from like a new album or something. And this is, what, this is one of the reasons that I, I don't like the commercial aspect of, of drumming. And I feel detached from the drumming community, even though I try to be a part of it, is that the music was I mean like like it was is the cheesiest shit ever. Slap bass, super chorusy guitar, there's no taste. It was like, whoa, oh my god, this is all technical, difficult shit. Mm-hmm. But it's 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 horrible. It's horrible. And it's the thing is you go onto like like the minor website or something, and they'll they'll feature some drummer. Why is he playing to synthesizer porn music? Patch it. Can we? Are we not beyond that? That's been going on since the eighties when that crap came out. Yeah. Why are we still doing that? The yeah. young kids today are seeing that and they're going, "Well, man, I, I first of all, I, I got to get this. You know, well, hell, the bass drum's fifteen dollars, fifteen hundred dollars alone from A and F. Well, shit, I can't even. I'll never be a drummer. It's making me feel like I felt like in the seventies, and that the, the thing that that, that allowed punk rock to happen is that you know with with all the excess of what was happening in the music industry and rock and roll in the 70s with like you know mounds of cocaine and 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 chicks and misogyny and private airplanes and stadiums and the distance between the audience and the artist right there was was this chasm they were oh my god there was like on mount olympus they were up on such a pedestal led zeppelin all this stuff right Yeah, yeah that gave way to punk rock Fuck you, motherfuckers, man. I am pissed off. I got something to say. This guitar is 50 bucks. I'm going to say something with it. Yeah. That's yeah. art. Yeah. What's happening now that I see just in the drum world, it's making me feel that way again. Because like, yeah. I'm going to name some more. We'll, we'll see the, the A&F drum company or whatever, the, 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 the outfit from Texas. I've played some of their stuff. This stuff is cool. I don't own any of it. But I see their ads and they have you know usually some nice drummers doing some tasty things in there. Yeah. But then they, they list the prices of the instruments. 
you're a kid looking at that and you're inspired as fuck, right? And you go, well, shit, I can't play. I'll never sound and play like this guy because it's going to cost me five grand just for this basic kit. Mm -hmm. And that's not even an exaggeration because we're, we're inundated with the boutique market, right? Which goes back metaphorically to the 24-hour news cycle and, the, and we got to consume, we got to consume. So now instead of there being just a few drum makers and a few cymbal makers, everybody's a drum maker and a cymbal maker, yeah. you know, yeah. almost. Yeah. We're, losing, we're losing something. We're being inundated with all this stuff. It's, 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 it's augmenting and helping to create more and more, I think, bad taste. People are not making good artistic decisions. They're making decisions that are going to appeal to the lowest common denominator or something. And that's not good for art, you know. That spills over into, you know, the desire to have endorsements and be able to list those. And then you have companies like really crossing some lines with, hey, if you want to be an endorser, just sign up. And then we'll put you on a list. I mean, there was a symbol company, I think, that was doing that. And, I mean, I don't know. I grew up looking at people that were endorsing something that they you – know, and the endorsements have changed. The life of endorsements have changed. And with social media and yeah. internet, that, that, that has changed a lot of things. And and there there's a, a few companies that I have developed a relationship with um, – and I'm proud of that relationship because it has pretty much come through the podcast and something that I have created with my buddy Zach's help, um, of course. But at the same time, I feel like this is something I can call my own as opposed to I play with so-and-so or I'm doing all this other stuff. Right. You know, and, and so there, there can be a healthy relationship. I'm not throwing that aside. Um, oh, for, for sure. I'm, I'm just – I'm speaking in general terms here. Of like, course, of course. Something that I see that – is an issue because they're, they're, you know, I, again, teaching college kids, I had all these college kids they could hardly play that had soul tone endorsements. Okay. Yeah. Because they, they were just take, because you know, you are paying to be a part of something. Like I, I've had people approach me and say, Hey, we'd love to build you a drum kit. I'm like, yeah, for what? Three grand that I'm going to give you. That's not like, that's not, that's, listen, you know, I'm not into that. that that's, it used to not be that way. Yeah. We, we are, we are paying to be a part of these companies right now at this point. It's, it's, it's backwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gotten backwards. Like, you know, you are, you are a company endorses you yeah. as a player or you endorse the company. Like, it's like it gets confused which way it's going now. It is. Yeah, it's very you confusing. Know? Yeah, it is very confusing. I, but I think it just but I think companies are recognizing the fact that people love to hashtag and make sure that people are listing that stuff. And so they're, if they're smart from a business standpoint, they're being like, "Ooh, if we just push this endorsement thing, we can get more people buying our stuff just to be able to say that they're endorsers. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, you know, man, I, I just got, you know, I'll show you. We used you to know, be called new, customers. <laughs> I just had my new, you know. Ooh, fancy! Okay. Yeah. Right? Now these aren't these aren't my signature sticks. These are my sticks with my signature on them. <laughs> See the difference? Like I this this is like you know I pay like a dollar extra a pair. I mean I'm 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 I am. Let's see. Am I endorsed by Vic Firth or do I endorse him? It's confusing too. Actually, yeah, 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 yeah. The language of it, but. I, I love that company. Um, I've been with them for like 15 years. But, you know, I, I have my name put on my sticks because it's something they offer. And it, it's like it makes your mom proud. 
But it's it's not like these are not my sticks that you can find in the store. I'm not on that level. I don't have that level of recognizability yeah. commercial. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like I'm not I'm not. Um, it's not like I'm not a part of the game. I'm not a part of the things that I complain about sometimes. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But I, I I think it's important because I think people might see the things I talk about sometimes as being impolite or being antisocial or something. And I think it's, no, it's not at all. If, if, if they know me at all, they know that that's not who I am. I think that a lot of things need to get talked about though, that are not getting talked about. And I, I see that I see art suffering more and more uh, at the hands of just overt capitalism, commercialism, you yeah, know, and yeah. I don't think it necessarily has to be that way. You know, um, we all need to make a living. I get that. But art is super important, and, and I find that the, the technology and the ability to be in touch with each other socially, you know, all the time and stuff, I think it is doing more harm than it is good to music currently. And I, 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 I think I'll be able to hypothesize more on that, you know, as a, as a, as time goes and just sort of see the arc of the way things are playing out because it takes time to sit back and see how things unfold you know sure, what i mean sure. it, you can't just make judgments in the moment because it's got to be an overall arc you know um but anyway with all that said you know i think i'm trying to find my place in all of that okay because if that is where the trend is going you know, I, I need to be an Instagram drummer. I need to post videos all the time, blah, 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 blah. I've had all kinds of people want me to do that. I'm just not doing that. It's not because I don't want people to not know who I am, but I just. But you, the, but you're creating stuff where people can discover who you are. I mean, like, okay, so before we get too far, I have to say, Dan Ainspin. Yeah, Ainspin. yeah. I'm, I'm probably butchering his last name. I apologize, yeah. Dan. Ainspan. Yeah. Ainspan. Yeah. Big thanks to him for connecting us. I yes. know that okay. I've seen your book. I've, I've, I remember a couple years ago doing something with your book uh, that I saw on an Instagram video that somebody posted, and I was like, "Oh, that's cool!" And it was one rhythm, and I worked on it for like a month. Somebody was using the rhythm and playing something on the pad with accents, and I was like, um, "That's a great warm up. I'm doing that." So I've come across your book in the past, but oh, you're, I love that. but you're, you know, but that's I, I love this idea of where do I fit in? This is my philosophy. I want to push back against this. Art is important. Art is important for humanity. Yeah. You know, all yeah. this stuff is good. This is my philosophy. I'm not here just trying to press people's buttons, but this is how I live. Where do I fit in? How do I continue to be an artist in this world? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, that's, you know, you were asking earlier how I am and in general, I am good, but <laughs> If we peel through the layers of the onion there, you know, that's what's going on with me. You know, I, I'm I'm trying to figure out, you know, and not only where do I fit in just artistically and, and um, but also in, in this sort of new, I guess, COVID or post-COVID world. I don't know. I guess we're still in it, but it's also kind of post in a way. Like, yeah, you know, so much for all of us. And, and I it's um it's a bit of a trip for sure. Um but I think once I figure out where my center is again musically, a lot of things come into place for me. Because, you know, I have my center with my family, but I haven't had my musical center in a while. And I, and I have it with my own personal relationship to the drums. 
I can, I can just play my drums and do stuff on my own for a long time. And I don't have to, I, I'm not addicted to the audience. I, I love the audience, but I don't, they're not essential for me to keep going. Mm-hmm. Me too. Um, yeah. And I, and I, I, I cherish that. And I think that's the part I was saying before earlier when I'm like, I'm kind of stingy with my relationship. Sometimes I, I could play out a lot more than I do, but I, I, I want it to be special whenever I play out for one thing. Cause again, I, I grew up going to shows and not just gigs. You okay. know, yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, I don't have any interest in. I mean, I, I I do gigs like this sometimes, but I have really no interest in playing music while people are eating dinner. Yeah, <laughs> I spend all this fucking time. So basically, to be background music, fuck that. And if that's you know, some people think of us being members of the service industry, and yes. Whenever someone hires me to do something, you're damn right. I am 100% professional. I am I am in the service industry. Yeah. But when it's up to me and the course that I choose, it has nothing to do with that. It goes back to the idea of like playing shows or writing a book or or making my own records or, or you know being in a band and instead of paying for studio time, we'll go use that money and buy some equipment so we can make more than one record. You know that's I, that's always been my approach because i i tried to play the game i you know i i was in bands we tried to be popular we tried to get more help we tried to be more commercially viable the people were just not there at the time you know Mm -hmm. um a number of the things i have done with the exception of mars volta um have had a bit of like a van gogh sort of syndrome like not that they were on the level of van gogh by any means but on the level that van gogh didn't sell but you know maybe one painting while he was live, right? right he was right. virtually ignored, and then he becomes Van Gogh, who we know now as the genius of the art world, once he's gone. Yeah. That's kind of been the case with a number of the bands that I've been in. You know, We tried to kick up the dirt more and get people to notice when we were around, but they just weren't there. You know, And then we broke up, and we all had you know, these bad relationships and all this stuff you know, that happens in bands. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, people start wanting more and the records start coming out you know there some things are going to get reissued and and i'm very happy that that it's grown um after the fact but i did not uh, i didn't end up the way that i am though purely by choice you know it's not like i didn't try like Mm -hmm. to be like it would be amazing to be in a band say like like wilco or something like you know I, i i grew up around Jeff Tweedy. I knew him when I was a teenager uh, for a little while. And, and, you know, there's a couple guys in that band that have been together for decades. Right. And I just admire that because I'd never had that. You know, my bands were too volatile, too explosive. They just, the personalities, there was just too many intense chemicals that, that worked for a time and then it just exploded and it was time to move on. I didn't have that that longevity and, and the chance to really build a long relationship with a group. And I, I, that's, I'm still kind of looking for that, but it, it, it's harder as you get older, of course, right, you right, know, right, right, sure. um, but I'm still really looking for that. And so in the meantime, I did things like, you know, I, I do all kinds of studio work. I play for all kinds of people, but it's not like my own sort of band that I have the focus of, you know, my, the last thing I had that was my baby was, I guess that book, you know, um, and now I'm looking to find out, you know, I've got a number of lines in the water. I, I'm, I'm starting to work on doing, um, I'm going to go to Europe in January 
and, and do some concerts and, and a couple of clinics and master classes and stuff. Cool. I'm starting to put that together. Um, and I'm still just trying to find out what my musical life is going to be now besides just like a freelancer. You know, uh, for for those that aren't familiar with your background and the, and the bands that you were in, some of the significant uh, the, the bands you spent some time with, uh, Dazzling Kilman, you mentioned when you were fifteen, um, uh, Ladio Balaco, and and uh, the Mars Volta. There was a, sh- a brief period uh, w- that you were there with that, but it, I'm I was. Uh, unfamiliar with some of these earlier bands that you were in and i've been listening to some of them can you explain just briefly i'd love to get i want to get to the book here um but kind of what these bands were what you're talking about right now and people are like what bands was he in what were these what what was the sound that was coming from these bands that why were they having a difficult time, you know, reaching somebody until after they were broken up, you know? How would you explain this genre or whatever in Europe? I, I think, you know, in, in terms of Dazzling Kilman and Ladia Balaco, um, those bands were pretty extreme. Um, and that's one of the reasons why a lot of people probably haven't heard the music because it was not commercially viable. Gotcha. Um, and, you know, it's for pretty niche audiences – People who enjoy heavy music, um, people that enjoy smart, changing sort of music, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, like Daz and Killman was kind of like, you know, if you took like a band like Black Flag or the Minutemen and and mixed it with more, you know, with like King Crimson. OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So we, 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 we had this love and this visceral quality of like punk rock, but mixed with a lot of prog. So we were... Um, you know, our Daz and Kilman's album, the, our second album, Face of Collapse, was named the number one heaviest album of the 90s decade by Alternative Press magazine. Jeez. Now, most people have never heard that band. We beat out bands like Slayer, Helmet, <laughs> The Melvins, bands like that that, you know, you know, that most people know. Yeah. We were number one. And it's based on on various criteria. Now, this is just, you know, just some critical thing, right? It doesn't really mean a whole lot. But that's kind of the story of that band in a way and kind of of my career is like I've kind of done all this stuff and people are like, Who's who is this guy? Who's it and who are these bands that he's done and why do people care? Yeah. But there's a lot of people that don't know, but the people that do know yeah. became rabid. And that I think is one of the things why I've been able because I'm kind of, you know, I have more of like a, a cultish kind of career than I do a commercial career for sure. Okay. I've worked in some commercial levels. I mean, I started a Grammy award winning band, you know, with the yeah. Mars Volta. But like I I'm much more known, you know, in the underground in a way than I am in the actual like music industry of say Nashville. No one knows who the fuck I am in Nashville. You go talk to some guy at Bluebird or whatever, they don't know who the fuck I am, right? You know? <laughs> But you talk to some scrappy kid, you know, who's in a dingy club, he may have heard something that I have yeah. done, you know. How does um, that make you feel? Um, <clears throat> mixed, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. um, because, well, it, it feels good and it feels cool in one way because, I, you know, I, I, I've never had a lack of street cred musically. Yeah. I've yeah. done a lot of like street cred worthy things and, I, and I've been very uh, adamant about keeping my career a certain way. There, there's not really anything you can go back and listen to and go, oh, well, that just sucks. 
you know, or, or, oh my God, what was he thinking? I mean, there might be one or two things there. I'm I got thinking. you covered on that. I got you covered. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I've, I've been, I've tried to curate, um, my career to a certain degree. So having that underground cred is, I love that. That's oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, having lack of commercial reach and, 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 you know, having access to a larger audience, um, is something I'm still working toward, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's not something that I feel like, well, I have this, but I don't have that. It's sort of, you know, it's always a work in progress. Mm-hmm. So I, I've, I've got this base in the underground and in alternative music. And I've just tried to, you know, whatever kudos I was given throughout the years, I've tried to capitalize on in some way. Cause to be honest, I don't know what the hell else I was going to do, man. I've always just done music. I pl- started playing the drums when I was eight. You know, I quit. I dropped out of college. I don't have a college degree. The degree I was going for was a jazz performance major. Mm-hmm. That's about as dumb as it gets. A jazz performance major. Well, here, let me see your resume at the gig. I mean, this is bullshit, right? That was just for me to satisfy my parents that like, hey, you need to go to college, right? Okay, well, let me go to college. I'll be a jazz performance major. I did that for two years. I dropped out. So I have no like other major skills. You know, I mean, I'm good at some things. You know, I'm not like only good at drums, but in general, my, my main skills are music and drumming. And it was either sink or swim, yeah, you know? Right, right. And I'm not a commercial artist. Yeah. I've had to get creative, you know? And so... I guess that's where, where teaching comes in too. It's been a buffer. It's always allowed me because I love teaching. I've learned so much as a teacher. Um, and you can make good money as a teacher actually. Like when you teach privately, if you get enough students, it's, it's way better than most jobs, you know, college kid or, 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 you know, even just an average adult can get if you don't want to sell your soul to something, you know, yeah, yeah. or just be owned by a company or something, you know. Um, so that's been a really good buffer, but you know, it's kept things interesting. And I think it, it keeps, it, it, it gives what I do uh, a certain edge because I've never gotten super comfortable. Mm. You know, I've got like some nice symbols, you know, I've got some sticks with my name on them, you know, but I'm not, it's little stuff. You know, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't own a house. I don't have a big fancy studio. I don't have, I have like, three or four snare drums. I have like three or four kits. You know, I don't, I don't have one of these. That's another thing. Like you, you'd watch drum videos nowadays of just some unknown, not even a person who's like, who the fuck is this person? Even, even way less known than I am. But this, it looks like they're in like sticks. Like it's like, it's like Todd Sugarman's studio. So it's like, who the fuck is this kid? You know, but yeah. they've got like, you know, eight camera angles yeah. and they have all, all, all this technology. It looks super slick, but they have nothing on their resume. Yeah, yeah, and so then for, for a kid scrolling through who just wants some education, it's like, well, damn, again, it's like it feels like there's such a a pedestal that these people are on like the kids felt in the 70s and why they turned to punk rock. You know, going back to that analogy, it's like, well, man, I can't afford this AF drum kit. I don't I can't afford eight camera angles. I don't have the newest Mac to make all these cool videos happen. What do I do? Where do I fit into this? You yeah, know, yeah, I feel that way as a 48 year old veteran in a way if you could call me that of of you know because i've been doing this for decades so right, right it must be even more difficult for a young kid coming up and seeing all that and, and, and that's the part about it that i don't like because it's like you know what i get inspired i love seeing these videos of, of these kids in other parts of the world that are playing on like oh my gosh bottle, dude trash cans and you know 
oil cans and like yeah. they're just killing it, you know. Um, I guess that's where my heart is, you know, because because the the drums don't care how much money you have. The drums don't care what kind of music you're into. The drums are just this. It's a conduit, you know. They are this. Um, that's such a great analogy, man. There's been so many times in in recent. Well, gosh, you know, if anything, that's the internet has given us that is it kind of peels back that layer and say look at this person that you know obviously is it lives in poverty but has put together something that and can and plays his ass off yeah it's so amazing yeah i love that so to me that is again when i say punk rock i don't mean just punk rock music i mean punk rock as like a as, as a whole life that's so punk rock it's yeah. so diy i'm not gonna let this shit stand in my way. I want to fucking rock out here. We're going to, we're going to get some fucking rocks. We got a couple saw blades for a hi hat, you know, mm-hmm, whatever it is like, mm-hmm. and they make it happen, you know? And I guess that's because of, of the, um, the commercial thread that, that, you know, the lack of that, that, that runs through my work. Um, I relate to that very much. So still, I still feel like that punk rock kid, even though some people will be like, Oh, Come on, man! You've been in magazines, you've sold books. But, you know, I've I've gotten some press, and I've gotten out there a bit. It's not like I'm, you know, I've been ignored by any means. But I guess I'm still that kind of punk rock kid that's just going to be scrappy and put it together and make it happen no matter what. And I don't, I don't need to have that twenty five hundred dollar bass drum to make it happen. You know what I mean? So that's it's like a natural reaction I have to that stuff to be a little. It hits me in a negative way sometimes. The 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 overt capitalism and commercialism of that stuff is just because it's like it, it's it sends it doesn't send a, the best message, you know. There's a there you know I feel like the the kind of the takeaway from a, a lot of of what you're talking about is is you, you're drawing inspiration from your students and you're seeing what young people in this generation that have grown up with the internet and I've got two sons, sixteen and nineteen now, that have grown oh, nice. up with the internet and how they're seeing the world uh and uh, i find it fascinating i feel like they're dealing with it really well they're not on their phones constantly they're not they don't post much you know they're spending time with their friends or they're working or they're doing shit you know and one of them's a musician and i see him using the internet to discover things and but he's listening yeah, but they're listening to if they're listening to new music, it's inspired by old music, you know, or they're listening to old music and they're listening to yeah. all kinds of like really interesting jazz and progressive rock and different things like that. I'm just so tickled uh, to see them and uh, do that and I I don't know how often that happens in their generation, but my point is there's a quote I read somewhere recently that talked about when, and, and I'm completely paraphrasing because I'm not remembering it totally, but it's something about when you master something, when you become a master of something, the next step in your life is to share it, is to pass it along. And I hear what you're, you're feeling and what you're emoting to, to me is that I had this experience and this fed me in my life. I had this punk rock mentality using that you know word loosely and Mm -hmm. i see these young people conflicted and 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 possibly amazing talent being squashed Mm -hmm. by commercialism and all this stuff that isn't allowing them to really discover the joy and the creativity that i had and you we need to pass that along and it's like you look yo 
you don't need to be posting so much. You need to go out and see some bands. You need to go out and get a gig and, and do whatever and, and play shows and put, put a show together, you know, yeah. do the experience these things. Cause trust me, that's where it's at. That's then, then every, anything that you feel from a, an extra like or a, a whatever online pales in comparison to that mm-hmm. relationship that you have with your instrument and working with others and whatever, you know, audience aside. Yeah. I mean, you know, nothing, nothing can replace that for sure. No, you know? no, um, no. And that's why, you know, it's, it's, it's important for me to figure out what I want to do musically again in a, in a deeper way, because, you know, I do have a very personal relationship with the drums, but I don't want to just play the drums by myself in a room. You know, mm-hmm. I can do that sometimes. I find it very meditative and, and it, it does make me feel good. But at the end of the day, the reason we do all that is to share with other people. Oh my gosh. You know? Yeah. 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 Um, for sure. And that, that is what it's all about. And I, and I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how things develop over the next even just couple of years. You know, um, mm. I think there's going to be factions that are going to, continue to march forward with the technology and things will become a bit more plastic and sterile. And then there'll be other factions that are going to start to take some steps away from that. And, and, you know, there's, there's a number of bands, you know, if we, if we looked and did our research that keep the mistakes in, Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not just quantize and and soul sucking, you know, um, that's good. And, And I think that, you know, like like we, we we talk about like we talked about like the the the, the fearless flyers guys and, and how amazing those guys are and what you know go into the studio and can do anything and they sound flawless. I think maybe that musicians maybe have gotten too perfect actually because you know if if we go back and we listen to you know like uh, you know like Hal Blaine or someone like that right who plays on all of these amazing records and stuff, there's still something very human about the feel. He's not a machine. Yeah. Yeah. He's not a machine. And I think that that's been a thing that, you know, through like drum and bass and, you know, Jojo Mayer and people like that. Yeah, it's cool when, when drummers can play like machines. I mean, that shit's amazing. I, I, I've gotten into that myself with, you know, the, the, the music of, of the German band Can, the, the drummer Jackie Liebzeit, um, who, you know, his whole thing, he went from being a free jazz drummer to being like, I want to be a machine. You know, that was kind of his goal. And that's really cool artistically. But I think that, as a general aesthetic, maybe we've we've taken that too far, and some of the some of the slight imperfections. Because I think the slight imperfections are actually what we call feel. Mm. What I find most people describing as a great feel nowadays is precision. Mm. Not not just not just the space between the notes because that's what constitutes feel. How far or how close am I putting those notes? That's feel. Yeah. Yeah. Period. Yeah. What volume am I playing each one of those notes, right? Up right. and down. That's feel. It doesn't get too much further beyond that. But maybe through the technology, we've sort of flatlined our waveforms like we've done by compressing all of our stereo mixes too much, right? I, I've got an analogy for all this crap or I can tie it into so many things. But, you know, um, perhaps it, we've done that to our own individual expression too, you know? And I um, – I don't know. I, I apologize. I, I guess I'm feeling a little philosophical today or something. I love I, it. I, I love it. I hope we're not taking this on too many uh, non-drumming tangents here, but I... Uh, this is, I, I this think is important that, shit, man. 
This is really yeah. important stuff. And I guess, wow, it's gotten really dark where I am. I, I, I have the window open right now, but it's like, like the sky is like black all of a sudden. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I apologize if, if we went on. There you the, go uh, with your analogies again. Oh, no, it's really getting dark out. Okay. I see. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. I mean, like, literally, literally. Literally getting dark. <laughs> didn't set out to write that book initially. Mm-hmm. I set out to write like my own personal method, um, kind of, you know, just the things that I practiced to get from A to Z, right? Um, and going back from my fife and drum corps days, all my rudimental practice and how I took that and applied it to the drum set and then all the things I got into uh, exercise-wise and inspiration-wise that kind of I was going to try to document how I kind of came up with my sound or my style in yeah, a way. Okay. So it was, going to, it was going to be a very kind of niche personal thing. And I started just brainstorming in a notebook and just writing stuff. And about six weeks into it or so, I, through doing some research, I discovered this guy, um, let me make sure I'm getting his name. Yeah. Joseph Schillinger, who had, developed a system of music um, based on mathematical principles. Um, and, you know, he was kind of approaching some melody and harmony in a way that I was, the way I started approaching rhythm in the book, in, in, in a way of how to quantify this information in, a, in mathematical terms and make it seem very just precise and finite. Is this a, somebody that, that, that is alive today or is this a, someone no, in the past? No, he, um, he had his heyday in the mid part of the 20th century. Okay. Um, but he was hugely influential on most of the larger composers of the day from like Gershwin to Hollywood soundtrack composers. It sounds yeah. like it's just a very kind of 20th century style, you know, like when, yeah. when science and art was coming together and technology was affecting the way classical composers will, were creating, you know? Absolutely. Uh-huh. Absolutely. That was a really, really um, fruitful time period. There was so much exploration going on, so much innovation. And essentially, um, he came up with the idea of using um, combinations and permutations. Mm -hmm. So in other words, if you have – let's say we got three musical elements, A, B, and C. We could also have – so we have A, B, C, we have A, C, B, mm-hmm. and then we also have B, A, C, B, C, A, and then C, A, B, and C, B, A. Yeah. You follow me, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and I was like, oh my God. Like, so what he was doing is he was using that as a method of composition. And this is what a lot of composers were doing is they were taking motifs and just labeling them one, two, three, four, or A, B, C, D, and they were shuffling them using this idea of, combinations and permutations to where every combination possible would be discovered then by the example that I just did, you know, the ABC, ACB, you know, and so forth. Right. So then I started thinking, well, if I take rhythmic cells 
a cell meaning you know uh, could be just just be one beat or could be a small rhythm right of multiple notes if I start taking phrases and shuffling them around on the same principles then wow I could start to generate all kinds of rhythms and then I discovered okay well if I have one two three as just a number example then again I've got one three two and two one three two three one you know yeah and started assigning these numbers to rhythms and once once I had figured out the math the idea of creating all of these patterns that are in the book because there, there are over there are five thousand and ninety six basic rhythms in the book wow. and those are all the combinations that can be derived from three beats four five six seven eight nine beats and twelve beats okay okay so you know like if if we have a triplet or three beats you can play on beat one and then two and three is a rest you can play on beat two where one and three is a rest yeah. you can play on beat three where one and two is a rest right and then now we can play the first two notes and then the second two notes and then the first and the third. Yeah. That's everything you do in a basic form with three beat grouping. That's all the possibilities until you get into note substitution. Right? Now with that, am I talking about three quarter notes, three half notes, three eighth notes, three sixteenth right, notes, right, right. a set of triplets? Well, that's up to – that's in the eye of the beholder. That's like metric modulation. Because all that stuff is relative. To, right. right, right, yeah. You That's know. an aspect of the book, just to, not to cut you off, but that, that is an aspect of the book that I'm excited about exploring is that whole metric modulation and just because as I'm explaining to students or my kids about rhythm, you know, it's like where is – how does – what does that mean? If, is, if it, it's all relative to what's beneath it or where you're feeling the time, you know, and all those kinds of things. Yeah. The, you know, in the relativity of rhythm, you know, if, if I play this and I say, what kind of notes am I playing? <laughs> yeah. No one knows, right? Yeah. Because there's no point of reference. Yeah. Those could be insanely fast dotted whole notes, for God's sake. <laughs> Literally, it could, right? It's right. as a limit, right? Or those could have been, you know, 128th notes yeah, or 64th notes or 32nd notes or 16th note triplets. It's all relative. Right. The moment that we define one note, the moment you say, all right, we're going to call whatever you're tapping, we're going to call that the eighth note, you've defined everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You All you have to do is call one note one name and everything else around that is defined. Now, if we call that same note a different name, we get a different set of information, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? That's all that, that, that surrounds it. You know, if I say this pulse is a quarter note, then the rhythms I play on top of that will be very definite mm -hmm. and defined. But if I say this is an eighth note, I'm still playing the same rhythms, but they're going to look different. Yeah. Yeah. And they're going to relate to the beat of the original quarter note differently. Cause now we're saying the pulse is an eighth note, not a quarter note. It gets really, it can, it can get kind of hairy, but it can also be explained, I think, fairly easily in some way. Because again, you're playing rhythm and until you have a point of reference, like you said, something underneath it, right? Right. We have no idea what it is. And the moment we hear something that's a reference point, you know, then our brain is going to start to define 
what these other notes are. And that's one know? of the methods in the book. Is that as far as or one of the ways that you can use the book and these rhythms is you can lay down a foundation and then play oh play these different rhythms over it. And 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 the overall concept that I'm getting from this book is that you're not giving a direct instruction on play this now play this now play this and you're done it's like no we're going to unlock some concepts so that you can create exactly yeah 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 Yeah. and i think you know for me as a teacher i I started teaching privately when i was 14 i think 14 or 15 when i had my first students um and ever since then one of the most important things to me has been trying to help people unlock their own creativity yeah yeah you know um because it's i I found that it's not that difficult i the way that i teach the way that i approach you know um my methodology on the instrument is not to just show you a riff or a lick and go okay memorize this what do you do with it i don't know you know throw it in some places it's like no no no. let's look at the underlying components that make that riff or that rhythm and let's conceptualize them so that we can make our own out of that. So it's never just here, here's this one idea. It's like every little thing that I give a student has got to be a seed. That seed has got to turn into a tree with many, many, many branches. And mm-hmm. if, if, I can, if I can get that to come across, then I've really opened up and tapped into someone's creativity. Because if, if, you, can, if you can be given one idea and you can immediately see – 20 or 30 ideas based on that one idea. And if you do that for every single idea that you have, your ideas grow exponentially immediately. It's like a costume designer or a clothing designer looking at it like a, you know, just a, a swatch of cloth and imagining an entire line based on it. Yeah. They're just seeing a flat square of cloth here, but they're, but in their mind, they've seen an entire line be designed from that, you know? And, and I think that, it's possible to give people those abilities when they look at music and look at rhythm. Um, I, I, I tell anybody that takes a lesson with me, I, and I guarantee this to any person that comes to me, regardless of ability, I can have anybody playing at a different level within one lesson just because there'll be some concepts. I mean, look, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure that I'm not going to tell anything to Peter Erskine or somebody like that, for God's sake. I'm not, I'm not stupid. You know, I mean, there are, <laughs> there are my te- the, the geniuses and the teachers and stuff, but I mean, in general, Anybody that comes to me for a lesson, I can guarantee that I, I can have them, even if they're an advanced player, playing at a different level after one lesson just by certain concepts. There are a lot of things that I find that people don't realize that they can do. They're like, well, like, like I'll just say, like, hey, take that part you're playing on the ride cymbal and just play it on a couple tom-toms instead. Oh, and yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll get the question, like, what, I can do that? A new voicing, right? Yeah, just a new voicing. Like, that. that's one. But it's amazing – as basic as that idea seems to people who have been playing for a while, to younger players, uh, the question I get a lot of times is, I can do that? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. As, if, as if there is a rule. Yeah. You know? And it's like when, when, we, when we create a context, yes, there are certain rules that apply to the, to the context we've created. But if we're just learning something in general in a free-form, um, more abstract manner, the sky's the limit. And you can – you know, I mean, I tell my students, you know, I mean, I, I, we want to strive for good technique and stuff, but if, if you can get the sound that you're looking for in the feel without hurting yourself, 
I'll call that good technique. You, you, uh, there's a, something I was reading or listening to, and, and this, I wrote this down, and I don't know where it comes from. Individual sound, not polished sound. That came from my research of you. <laughs> I don't know where it came from. Individual okay. sound, yeah. not polished sound. And that also reminds me of a conversation I had with Don Perry last month, and he talked about his definition of technique or chops is the ability to perform your ideas with clarity. And I, yeah. I just, I love that because this goes back to what we were talking about this earlier is when you look online and you say, hey, here's the lick of the day, learn this. And it's this, 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 and there you go. Now you've got the drum fill that's going to impress all your friends and get you dates and whatever. So it, that in itself is like, that's just filling in, all, checking all the boxes and saying, okay, I've done it. And it's like, no, that you're just imitating what he just did. That's not being creative. That's not, you know, how do we yeah. unlock that? Yeah. What's the underlying information that yeah. creates this, this fill here? What's, what's the relationship between the limbs? Do we need to know certain things about subdivisions? Do we need to distribute things among, you know, there's like, it's, I mean, for me, it's cause I've been doing it for so long. Yeah. It's easy to take something like that. And then, and then I, I can, I can put it into bite-sized student, uh, bite-sized pieces for the student, um, is, is trying to find the underlying concepts of that stuff so they can take it further. So it's not just like, well, I did that. Now I'm just at this dead end now. And I don't know, I don't know what to do with it, you know? We've sure, got to be able to take sure. it further. And how do yeah. I do it with clarity? And how do I do it? How do I apply this in a musical concept? And it, obviously, that that's where um, you know growth and instruction and and stuff like that comes into into play. Well, let me ask you about something about the book. Is that as as an experienced player, I see the book and I'm going, oh yes, this is going to be great. This is going to push me uh, as I as I as we all run into kind of. Um, you know, roadblocks along the way, or, you know, if, if we, if we're feeling stagnant in our creativity or whatever, uh, I see books like this as, as an opportunity to grow. But how would I approach a young person with some of the concepts of this book? I mean, obviously there's some groundwork that needs to be laid, but in the book you're saying this is for, this covers, if you're just starting out, uh, maybe not at the very beginning stages, but if you're starting out, if you're new to the instrument, as well as experienced players. That, to me, experienced players is very obvious, but to a newer player. Yeah. I mean, we could go just to the very beginning and, you know, for a little kid, if yeah. they can count and clap, yeah. you know, the, yeah. the, 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 the first, I think it's, I don't know, 238 rhythms. It's like the three, four, five, six, and seven beat combinations yeah. are all written in a binary manner. It's gotcha. either a note or a rest, right? Yeah. So that you know you know that okay, this symbol means don't play, this symbol means play. So gotcha. even if you don't know how to read music really, you can go, okay, that's on, that's off, right? Sure. So we can get kids, you know, very young kids starting to not just be able to count in two or four, which is common if they do musical ideas, but to start doing things in three or five. And if they can go, you know, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. Mm -hmm. You know, that can be taught at a very, very young age. Um, if they can count to five, they can learn to play in five from the get go, right? Yeah. Now, 
what what a what I could take you know we could do with a more intermediate person is is you know there's so many different ways to interpret this like you know for example let's just start with the very first page of the book mm. it's it's three beat combinations so again play it on one and then play it on two and then play it on three and then play it on one and two two and three and then one and three there's six combinations there right so basically there, there's there's basically six partials of a triplet you can think of it that way too right sure. Okay, so let's say you're a little little more advanced, and what are all the things I could do with this? Well, just with a pad alone, we could say, well, let, let's let's first just play the rhythms as as written, and keep some sort of time, either the eighth note or the quarter note as a pulse, and then play what you see written. Okay, and count. Then we could say, um, let's take the written notes and assign them to, say, your right arm, your right hand, and all the rests are on the left. Yeah. So we're going to actually use the rests as musical information to to play. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes we'll use them literally as rest, and sometimes we'll use them as more musical information. So let's say that the right hand's playing the, the written note, the left hand's playing the rest. Let's let's say we let's make the written note an accent. I'm going to play straight triplets. Any note that you see written on that page is accented now. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to play straight triplets. I'm going to make the written note. All the written notes are flams. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to play the written notes on the snare and fill in the rest on the bass drum. Yeah. Or I'm going to fill in uh, alternating the rest on the bass drum and the kick drum. You know, um, I'm going to start to take four repetitions of that. And so now I've got like a, a, tr a triplety sort of phrase. One and a two and a three and a four. And, a, you know, you can you can look at those those three beat groupings as going into detail with each beat and and the partials of the triplet and then you apply that when you get to like the six beat combinations mm -hmm. it's just two of what you did there right with a three beat or the nine beat combinations it's just taking three of those cells now yeah or yeah. The, the 12 beat combinations is taking four of those cells that very first page goes through each partial of the triplet and that can be applied like let's say we were to make the rests double strokes and then written notes are accents. So I'm playing the notes and then I'm playing roll in between it, right? Mm -hmm. um, let's say that, you know, I'm going to have the, the notes, written notes be on the snare and the rests I'm going to fill in on the tom-toms, you know? So in any of the, the sort of Alan Dawson methods um, that people use, like when they go through like syncopation or yeah. uh, stick control, all of those things and then anything else that you can think of can be applied to my book. You know, my, my book was the idea to, to give people a massive, massive resource, an encyclopedia of information, and and then give them some different ideas in the introduction of how they can use it so that they can start again to unlock and tap into their own creativity. I guess that's kind of been my goal from the from the outset as a as a instructor has always been to try to get I want to, I want my students to be able to unlock their own creativity because I think that's one of the greatest feelings to have as a person and it's one of the greatest feelings to be able to give that to someone exactly yeah you so are, so as far as these concepts and how to use the book you've got some text in here are there other resources for people i i know dan has some great videos that he's put together on how he's applied some of these that's been that's been nice to watch yeah if if, if People can go to my website, um, uh -huh. BlakeTheDrummer.com. Mm -hmm. um, BlakeTheDrummer.com. We'll have a link, and too, in our show notes to that. Great, great. Um, 
and that there are a number of other methods that get discussed. Um, there, there's a whole just book of rhythm section on the website that has you know all kinds of information. Um, it's got samples. Um, it's got ways that you can apply it. Uh, it has you know user reviews um, from you know from just up and coming drummers to more well known people. Um, and you know, the, the book is a, it's a massive resource for inspiration. You, it doesn't have to be used in a linear fashion. You can just open that book up to any page yeah. and find something that, that piques your interest. And then with the methods I talk about in there, you can start applying various, uh, techniques and methods to just one rhythm. You know, the whole idea is like, again, if I'm just given a seed, how many branches, uh, of, of, of can, can I grow off of my tree from just that seed, you know? Right. So sitting down with one rhythm of that book and going, Hmm, let me try it this way. Let me try it this way. Let me it's try it insane. this way. It's insane. You know? I, I, yeah. It, I just, the short time I've had it, I, you know, I worked out of the John Riley's books. Uh, and yeah. so I was, I, uh, you know, like page 21, I, I'm like this. Okay. F- I want to I want to dig into this uh, as much as I can and 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 use that as kind of a comping uh, those rhythms for comping concepts. Uh, even though I don't really play a lot of jazz, I still love to practice it, and it, it's so helpful yeah. for me. And so to keep my but but the you know all the benefits that go along with that. But that was that was really great. But it's like that that's a concept, and that's a that I'm familiar with from an older book that I had, but it's like, okay, I want to dig in deeper to other uses of this book. So I'll definitely be going to the website. I know that for sure. That's great. Oh yeah. That. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the, the 12, eight combinations, you know, that's every rhythmical, basic rhythmical combination possible and a four, four bar triplets. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's like a comping Bible right there. And yeah. trust me, even the most professional jazz musicians will stumble upon some rhythms in there that they have not used. In, the, in, in those 12 beat combinations alone, there are 4,094 basic rhythms for comping in 4-4. Four, four. <laughs> every, every comping pattern, triplet bass, and 3-4 is there as well. Those are the 9-8 combinations. Yeah, you know? yeah, for One sure. ender, two ender, three ender. You got 9-8 notes there, right? 6-8. Um, you, can, you can take the the uh, the eight beat combinations, which is like a, a bar of eighth notes, and you can swing those. You can play these things straight. You can play them, you know, filling in between the notes. You can revoice them. Um, you know, the, the twelve eight stuff. You can you can do three against four. You can think about it as being a three four bar of sixteenth notes. So you can you could regroup everything as three groups of four versus four groups of three, uh-huh. and that completely changes the feel. And that gets you into West African musical line. Oh, that's one of the reasons I, I came up with the formula and learning how to pattern all of these in order because it was really difficult to come up with the pattern and or with, with the formula in order to create all these patterns in mathematical order you know because if, if you follow them down they everything progresses mathematically in order sure with yeah. these right right so, so you can take one rhythmic idea yeah. that starts on beat one, and then you see the same idea one eighth note in, yeah. And the same idea two eighth notes in, and the same idea three eighth notes in, until that idea that idea gets to the end of the bar. And then the same idea starts over again, but now the second the 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 idea starts to have more rests in between it. 
Wow. And the mat cell moves. It, you know, you can start to see the, the way that I put it together visually just looking at the patterns and how they progress down the page. And just think um, how you can apply it to like a, a hemiola type idea, you know, playing over the bar line type thing. Oh, a- absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you can you could virtually create any time signature by combining all of these different, different right. Rhythms, you know? right. So right. this is something that the beginner student can use. This is something that like a composer could use. This is something that like, you know, Rush could use, you know, like, like some crazy prog band. I mean, yeah. anybody that Not has anymore. this. <laughs> Right, I know, I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> but what about a bad, bad example? I apologize. <laughs> um, but any, anybody that has an interest in rhythm, um, it is it's incredibly and very clearly laid out. I think is one of the things about the book too. It's so user friendly because all of, over five thousand rhythms, it's only three components. If you know what an eighth note is, a quarter note, and a dotted quarter note. You can play you every single rhythm in that book. I noticed what you didn't have was the Nashville seven eight. Do you know what that is? No, I don't. It, it's it, it's kind of like this: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two. Sorry. <laughs> oh man, you're like I'm no. So, I'm so gullible, man. You're like really? What is it? It's like because yeah. you know the Nashville number system. Yeah, in seven. Look, one, two, three, four, look six, at me seven, giving you the. Bit. Of the doubt. You're taking advantage of my niceness, man. I know, I know. That's what I'm known for, man. <laughs> right, right. No, that, that, that's fine. People that's think funny. I'm nice. Uh, they're sorely mistaken. Um, oh, right. Let me Jeez. ask you this. Is there anything uh, that, in a way that people have used the book that has surprised you? And you're like, oh, that's what a great use of that. I haven't had, hadn't considered that. Yeah, that, that's a really good question. Not any specific method that, that I hadn't sort of come up with or, you know, have heard other people talking about. Um, the thing that I guess I get the most from is when I hear that it's not just drummers that use the book. And that, that's one of the whole things too. It's not a drum book. It's a rhythm book. It's a book of rhythm that can be applied to any instrument, period. And, and, the, and the concepts, the way that we apply the instrument, the, the, the rhythms to the drum set can be applied to any instrument as well. Like, you know, using the rests, as more rhythmic information. You can play the piano. I'm going to play the, the notes, the written notes on this one note on the keyboard, and I'm going to play the rest on this other note, and I'm going to create patterns that way. Mm-hmm. That, that's just one way to start, you know. Yeah. But I have composers, and I have theory instructors, and trumpet players, guitar players, um, a variety of other musicians besides drummers using the book. And I think that's one of the things that makes me the happiest about it. Because I really, I wanted to try to, try to create something that's like universal. Well, you know, my, my 16-year-old son, like as I mentioned, is a musician. And he's, he's discovering composition. And he's really into, again, almost like a 20th century style of, of um, like, using modular synths to create patterns and different things like that and and non-traditional song form yeah and it it really excites me so this might be a book that i could share uh or i'm excited to share with him and say look this is (laughs) um yeah that's 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 really cool and and where now can people find this book on your website and other places or where can they find the book yeah they they can buy physical copies of the book directly through me, BlakeTheDrummer.com. Mm-hmm. They can also get physical copies of it um, on Amazon.com. Okay. Yeah. And then now um, Hudson Music 
uh, has picked up the book and they have it available as an ebook. So you can get it physically from my website or Amazon, or you can get it as a, as an ebook uh, onto whatever device you want through HudsonMusic.com. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I'm really happy to be a part of, of that roster and catalog too. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, that, that that came about just in the last few months. Um, I got I got hooked up with them. So you you mentioned that one of the things about not in our conversation here, but another another conversation about the construction of the book and just it being just a solid. And and I can't thank you enough. I mean, I've got pages that have fallen out of books, and if I'm, most of us keep our books forever, I think yeah. I bought three copies of Syncopation. Because they've just yeah. fallen apart, so this is yeah. such a. I, maybe you should have made a, a shittier book so that people have to keep buying extra copies. You, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. That, that was, you know, but that was another thing with with me putting it out myself, self publishing. Yeah. I had to make sure the product was as good, if not better, than anything on the market. That that book, I I have a couple work copies. I abuse the shit out of them on purpose. Yeah. You can smash that thing down to where it lays flat on every page. That spine will not give. That glue will not give. I love uh, it. I, I've, I've found there's only a few book manufacturers in the country that use this special um, the, the special binding glue, P-U-R. I can't remember what it stands for, but it, it's a P-U-R perfect binding. And that P-U-R glue is basically like rubber it becomes and everything becomes embedded in that rubber and it just doesn't let go so it it moves it's malleable so that book i mean like i said i i've i've literally i abused mine on purpose because i want to know what the product is really made of yeah man that thing it, it, is, it is it's literally built like a fucking tank it really yeah. is it is super super strong and I, again because i'm not you know it wasn't coming out on like you know hal leonard or hudson or something to from the get-go was coming out of my own imprint. Mm -hmm. I had to make sure that people knew this is this this is a very competitive commercial product. So I had to make sure that its construction was perfect, essentially. Yeah, yeah, that's I love that the artwork. I love it. Where did that come from? Man, that's um two two friends of mine, um, uh, Dalibor Barak, um is a, an artist that designed all the images, uh -huh. but he designed all these individual images. And then my, my friend Nico, uh, one of my very close friends in Zagreb, Croatia took all the, the individual components and made the composition that is the, the cover and the back. So the, the source material came from one artist, the images, but then the composition of the images and the colorization and all of that, yeah. you know, the actual composition came from another artist. So, um, yeah, Dalibor and Nico, um, my, my sort of Eastern European uh, uh, art team, <laughs> like they great. really knocked it out of the park. I think that's one of the things that has made the book so appealing as well is that it just looks cool. It, it, it does. I think it's eye catching. It is. It is very much so. I have the picture of you on the back is uh, it's awesome, dude. <laughs> thank you yeah I don't, I don't know if it's the most flattering thing but that's what i went with anyway you know you're just you you look like you're like it's so exciting you're like dude this is awesome yeah yeah because you know, when, when i discovered this information it freaked me out and i was insanely excited about it because it had never been done 
the information is out there in the universe that had never been collected and it had never been organized. You know what what I've done, and it's not I'm not tooting my own horn, but it's it's literally true. I've done tons of research. No no one's ever put this out ever. This has never ever been done. This, this archive mm-hmm. or encyclopedia of rhythm that I put together, it's the first of its kind ever put together. People have had concepts and people that have done little bits and pieces. I, I saw a thing in Modern Drummer where they had listed, you know, um, if we have seven beats, here are all the combinations. There's like 128, yeah. right? Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's cool, but what about all these other right. beat groups, right? Right. If I were to do 16 beats, which would be, say, like a 4-4 four, four bar of 16th notes, yeah. there's over 100,000 rhythms <laughs> based on that. <laughs> that's why I stopped at 12, because it was like, well, we can combine... All the you know, you can combine any of the ones that I've been given to create any other time signature that is not in the book, but it gets crazy. Like you add four more rests to the equation, and whereas we, when we have twelve beats, we have four thousand ninety-four rhythms. If we have sixteen beats, it's over a hundred thousand. It's amazing how it, how it compounds. Yeah, yeah. Man, it's so it's amazing, man. Again, I am I am super excited to dig into this. It's been a while since I've had a book that I've uh, uh, dug into, but just again, I, I go back to some of the same books, and it's it's just how to first of all, you know, just keep my limbs loose, a, a, a departure from what I do on just regular gigs, and how do I keep some of the fluidity and 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 uh, the left hand moving, the left side moving in conjunction with the other, the metric modulation, and all those th- things that excited me when I first started playing and first started yeah. discovering um, how to break through some of those those uh, sticky points in my playing. And I hate to use that 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 word independence, but you know those things that kind of create balance. If 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 I could use that word that I struggle with, even when I'm just doing regular gigs and a very simple groove, there's times I'm feeling out of balance, and so I go back to those things that I used growing up, and 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 practice on that I don't need for the gig, but I really do. I still need them for the gig, even for if I'm just regular playing just. Re- regular pop type stuff i still need this and and when i'm called upon to deliver something creative on whatever i that that is building in my so this is for all kinds of players 100 percent um yeah and what you mentioned about you know the things that you need to play that you're not necessarily playing on the gig but is yeah. you, you need in order to get through it, it that's foundational and fundamental right yeah and that's one of the things i love about teaching yeah. is that you, you you just comb through that stuff constantly i mean e- even even with more advanced people you know mm-hmm. we'll always come back to some sort of foundational aspect sometimes especially when, when in terms of balance and leverage mm-hmm. you know when we start really getting into the physicality of what we're doing and how to achieve certain more complex rhythmic ideas and rhythmic um interdependent ideas mm-hmm. it, you know it, it comes down to physical uh, physics at one point you know balance and leverage as well and and that's very foundational you know but it's 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 that foundational stuff that a lot of people forget about actually well we forget about and think oh uh, okay i'm playing at 120 bpm and i got to play pat boone debbie boone what's the big deal <coughs> excuse me <laughs> what's the big deal well guess what like 
how the rest of the band is feeling that if you're not feeling the subdivisions and you're you're just not giving it the attention that it desires that that separates the pros from the non-pros you know yeah. that space in between the note that's what you were talking about that's the rhythm and if that yeah. there isn't enough space or there's too much space then something just doesn't feel right and we when we hear it we know it it's like man i yeah he sounds good but there's it doesn't sound great and i don't know what it is about his playing that doesn't like the bass player yeah he's a good drummer but i just don't lock in i don't know what it is about his playing that doesn't feel right to me and yeah. it's all these other things it's, it's an interdisciplinary type concepts that inform our playing even at its simple and most basic you know absolutely and that's what you know it's it's so important to continue like i said i continue to go over that stuff with teaching, you know, and I, I love that. And I, I, I learn so much, especially from, from young students. All they have to do is ask why. Why are you telling me to do this a certain way? Why do I have to sit this way? Why should I hold the drumstick this way? Mm -hmm. Why am I going to practice this? That question why coming from a young student has taught me incredible amounts. I bet, I bet. Because I had to go back and figure out, well, shit, why am I telling them this? Why do I do <laughs> it this way? Why do I do it myself this way, you know? Yeah. And that got me into thinking about all kinds of stuff and thinking in terms of like, like boxer, you know, being a boxer and like, why do boxers, you know, why do, if I'm going to throw a punch, I'm going to hold my arm back like this and then strike because I'm storing all this potential energy because there's leverage. The more I extend my arm, the less potential energy I have, the less leverage I have, mm -hmm. the less power I have, yeah. you know? And yeah. so I, it, 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 it would, it would send me down all kinds of tangents and, it allowed me to become more and more aware of, again, why we do the things that we do and why there are sometimes better methods than others, you know. If um, that is the uh, – just the whole basis of this conversation since minute one is you have to ask yourself why you're doing these things. Why are you posting that video? Yes. Why are you practicing that? Why are you listening to that? Yeah, you know. Yeah. Why are you talking to your mother that way? <laughs> yeah, I mean, ask I, yourself these questions. I th I think that man, self awareness doesn't only make you a better musician; it makes you a better person. You know, yeah. and so this this really can accomplish a lot. Just asking why, just like you said, what from why am I playing it this way to why am I talking to this person this way? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and. Hopefully, you know, sometimes we don't always have the tools to figure out why, yeah. especially when it comes to the, the, the inner world of, of ourselves, you know, but it's good to start somewhere and start trying to untangle things. Because again, that's what I tell my students. If, if you are aware as a person, then you can be aware as a musician. And the more aware you are, the more sensitive you are, the more people want to play with you. And this is not about beating yourself up. I mean, you need to extend some grace to yourself because... Uh, I mean, there are times when, you know, my wife will be like, what, what's wrong with you? Like, what do you mean? Like, you're just being like really crabby to blah, blah, blah. And I, I was, I'm, and I have to stop. And I mean, she's so, she extends so much grace to me, but she's like, what's going on? As opposed yeah. to, Hey, you're being a dick. She'll right. what's, what's happening? What's going on? I'm like, you know what? 
now that I think about it. So you need to extend some grace to yourself. It's like, why am I going back to the social media? Why am I posting? What do I need? What am I getting from this? Is it helping? Is it hurting? How am I feeling? And um, what do I need to do? How do I need to rethink this to become a better musician, a better person, and and all these things? Yeah. You're, you're, You're getting to the root of the behavior, which is exactly what we talked about. Like, okay, here, here's this lick. Well, what do we do with that? Let's get to the root of that lick. Let's get to the root of the behavior. It's that self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we're so locked into the social media world and mm-hmm. we're so out for that dopamine fix that we're losing a lot of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. I see a lack of self-awareness on social media constantly. Mm-hmm. Or I see a very, very polished awareness. Hmm. But but the thing that drives me nuts the most is a lack of social like people are not aware of how they come across sometimes. That they're not in other words like if if I'm being addicted to someone is it because I'm just insecure or is it because I'm just having a bad day or is it because that person said something to me in the past like if, if we can find the root of our behaviors and 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 our actions we become more aware. We become better people. I think we'll become better musicians in general too, you know? And I think that, again, this is all kind of coming full circle, but I think that the more that we spend with our heads in the screen, that's not our reality. So we're not really taking stock and inventory. We're not being introspective when we're engaging in that way. We're not being very introspective. And if we are, it's usually negative. Like, well, I don't have that. I'm jealous. I don't feel this way. I'm not that good. Or I'm not on vacation right now. Or, you know, what I mean? all the stuff that pops up when we see things, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, I think, I think all this stuff, you know, and we've been uh, on a few different places today, but I, I think it all kind of ties back into, yeah, being, being self-aware, asking yourself why, and that, that will not only allow you to be a better person, but a better student at your instrument as well, since this is a, a drumming podcast. <laughs> not just the philosophy of, like, get off my lawn. It's know? been known to uh, take on different forms. Well, it's like, it, it, just to tie that in with uh, the thing that I've talked about in the past is, like, I have some friends that, like, are just wonderful people, but online. I'm like, dude, online you're an asshole, but in person you're really cool. You need to cut that shit out so people know who you really are, because I know who you are. Yeah. And people need to know this person and stop yeah. being a dick online, you know? Um, yeah. And it's, and some it's, of it's it has weird. worked, you know? Um, man, this has been a joy. It's been fun to to pick your brain on this stuff. Thank you again for the book. I Again, I'm super excited to dig, dig, dig into it and, 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 and spread the love uh, about it. Um, We'll have links in the show notes to your web uh, in the show note to your to your website. Uh, we're excited about this new platform, the Drum Click, and uh, so get more eyes and ears on this and and you and what's going on. And just keep in touch with us, man. I'm, of course, I'll keep in touch with you in this post. But um, yeah, I will for sure. And I, I appreciate it, Matt. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, and um, you know, I hope uh, I, I truly hope that some folks hear this and get something from it and, and know that there are at least other people out there thinking in other ways or, or, or not going with just the status quo. And that's okay. That it's okay to not be status quo. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's not easy, but 
it's okay. And uh, I think in the long run, it could be more gratifying. So anyway, I, I, I've rambled for two hours. I appreciate your tolerance. No, this is great. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Uh, and thanks to Dan Ainspan uh, yes. for introducing us. And um, yeah, he's he's a good dude and, and uh, excited to get to know him a, a little bit more in the, uh, as, as the world opens up again uh, yeah. some more. He's a great dude. Awesome. Yeah. Well, man, I'm going to let you go, but thanks again for your time. I appreciate it so much, and uh, and we'll be in touch. Yeah, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Okay. N- nice to meet you, man. Nice to meet you, too. Talk to you soon. You got it. All right. Bye. So there you have it, my conversation with Blake Fleming. Big thanks goes to Dan Ainspan for connecting us and uh, for Blake taking the time to speak with us on this podcast uh, I'm real excited about this book, and uh, I encourage you to check it out. The Book of Rhythm, again, you can find it on his website, link in the show notes, and you can find it on Amazon as well. But it's going to be something that you'll have in your library probably for the rest of your life. Uh, there's just so much great stuff in that book. Stay tuned for next week's episode where Zach Albetta will be your host. And as a quick reminder, August 7th here in Nashville is the Music City Drum Show. And we've got a huge hang the Sunday, August 8th, in the afternoon at a place called Bar Louie at 1 p.m. Come join us, Mike Dawson, J.C. Clifford. Zach's coming to town. We're all going to be there. It would be great to see everyone and uh, see everyone Saturday. There's going to be some big clinics and lots of cool gear to check out. That's August 7th, and then the hang is August 8th. Check it out at musiccitydrumshow.com. But for now... Stay safe, everyone. Thanks for listening, and I hope to see you around real soon. Bye-bye.